Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Well, good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. We are going to continue this morning in our series called Progress. This is part two. Last week, we talked about the past. We spoke about how the past is a great teacher, but if we get stuck there, it will be brutal. How the past is there to help us to actually be able to move forward. We saw that we were created in God's image, and that's the foundation. That's where we start. And we also looked at our brokenness. We cannot ignore that. We cannot ignore the choices that we make that determine the life that we're going to live. And so it's very important that we learn and don't make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And today we're going to be talking about the present. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about the twilight zone. I'm going to talk to you about your closet. Some laugh there. Okay. My wife, when I said that, she goes, are you going to make us feel bad? I said, probably. Going to talk about church youth groups and then the key to success. But the first thing I want to do is go to just a terrible story in scripture. Isn't that wonderful? Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. This is just an awful story. But it has a very important point. It's one of those things when you read this and you think, oh, God, this is awful. Why is this here? But it's there for a reason. And so we're going to be reading 2 Samuel, starting at verse 7 in chapter 13. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In verse 7, it says, Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Now, a little backdrop is Amnon is Tamar's stepbrother, that David has had more than one wife and he's had children from the multiple wives. Amnon has a thing for Tamar. He sees her as beautiful. It says that he's in love with her and this is the story. He wants to be with her, but it's not in a good way. Verse eight, so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied out before him, but he refused to eat. 
And Amnon said, send out everyone for me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber of Amnon, her brother. When she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. It's probably done in other places, but it's not done in our country is really the point. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you, but he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. He raped her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out from my presence and bolt the door after her. This is just a horrific story. And why am I talking about this story? Because there is this one passage in this verse where it says in verse 15 that he hated her with very great hatred and the hatred was greater than the love with which he loved her. You see, Amnon had this thought of what it would be like to be with Tamar and he imagined this future that in his mind he couldn't resist. But when he got there, the future let him down to what his expectation was. There was a transition in his mind from what he expected and what it was, and it was such a letdown that he actually hated her even though formally he had loved her. And what a a drastic contrast this is. What a horrific story that he would treat her in such a way, someone who he said he once loved, and he didn't. There's an old episode of The Twilight Zone, and it's a great episode. It's called A Nice Place to Visit. And if you're not a fan of The Twilight Zone, you might not appreciate because you have to kind of go back to this way of thinking. You know, it's black and white, and there's this character whose name is Rocky Valentine, and he's a criminal. Isn't that a great name for a criminal? Rocky Valentine. You know, everything's just a little bit over the top, right? The acting isn't quite on spot. Everything is just a little bit exaggerated. But what happens is Rocky Valentine robs this jewelry store. He gets trapped by the police. He gets shot and he's killed. And when he wakes up, there's this guy, he's dressed in white, looks kind of like Colonel Sanders, whose name is Pip. And Pip greets him and he says, Rocky, here. And and then Rocky pulls the gun out and says, give me your money. And he goes, I don't have any money with me. He goes, well, take me to your house. And he takes him to this mansion. He goes, wow, you live here. And he goes, no, you live here. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, this is now your home. And he goes, you're kidding me. No, I'm not killing me. And he goes, everything here is mine. Yeah, and he goes, well, I need some money. He goes, check the drawer. He goes to the drawer, and there's like $2 million in the drawer. And he's like, whoa, this is great. And he goes, well, I want to go out. And so he goes, bless you. He goes to a casino, and he goes gambling. 
and he wins every time. And the girls are flocking around him and he takes them home and this is going on week after week, month after month. He cannot lose. He's getting everything he wants. And one day he goes back to the house and he talks to the guy and he goes, Pip, you got to talk to the guy upstairs. You got to let him know there's been a mistake. I, I don't belong here. And Pip says, oh, no, I'm sure this is where you belong. And he goes, no, you, you don't get it. You know, I, I don't belong in heaven. I belong in the other place. And then Piff starts laughing. And he says, heaven? What made you think this is heaven? This is the other place. Ha, ha, and laughs and then, you know, the music comes on. And he can't get out of the door. And you see, he got everything that he wanted. But he was miserable. He had this idea that if I had all these things, my life would be complete, but it wasn't. You see, depression happens when we don't have the things that we want. We're depressed because, man, I'd like to get these things. And if I could just get them, I'd be happy, but I don't have have them. So I'm a little bit depressed. But then despair sets in when we actually get what we want and then we no longer want. We had an idea of this is what I would want. This is the things that I need to be happy. You get those things and then you're not happy. There's this angst, this agony, agony, agony in you, always wanting something and never being satisfied. And that's the terrible picture that we read about with Amnon and Tamar, Tamar. But it's also the reality that oftentimes we live in. We, we live wanting something, not getting it, and we're being depressed. And then when we get the things that we want, we're in despair because they didn't do what we had hoped they would do. There's a passage that you guys are familiar with. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And it's a beautiful verse. And you might be thinking, well, why are you talking about this verse if you're talking about the present? Because this talks about waiting for a future and a hope, looking for something that is afar off, right? But if we go back to actually verse 4 in the same chapter, in Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I may have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's the picture. Here's the backdrop. The nation has been taken captive. The children of Israel are now enslaved to the people of Babylon. That's where they are. And this is what God says to them in their current, present condition. Verse five, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for this city that you have been exiled to. Live your life where you're at. Get houses, plant crops, marry your sons, have your sons marry their 
Daughters, let this life continue and pray for the city that you are in, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Where you're at, if it does well, you will do well. You see, the welfare and the hope that is coming in the future, you're actually building it today where you're at. Have an awareness that God hasn't forgotten you, but also be aware that you need to live your life right now where you are. See, that wonderful promise is built on this reality that you have to live your life where you're at. The way in which this welfare of a future and a hope is going to take place was in their present action where they were right then. And the same thing is true for us. The future and the hope that you want, you're building it today. Are you praying for the welfare of your city? Are you buying homes? Well, no, they're too expensive in California. But, you know, whatever you're doing, you're living your life here presently because the welfare that you produce now is the welfare you inherit later on. Verse eight, he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they have prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. What were these prophets saying? Oh, you're gonna be delivered. Everything's gonna be good. You're gonna be out of here. God is gonna take you out of this place and deliver you back into Israel. He's saying that's a lie. And I think it's so interesting that we want something. We want this deliverance. We want this other life. We want these things that are in the future. This promise of escape. I I want to get to heaven. Can't wait. Oh, man. And God is telling them, don't listen to that. Live your life here. You see, because the present is where God is working now. The present is where you and I have the ability to affect our lives, even in the future. Whatever, you, whatever your present circumstances are, that is where God is going to show up in your life. It's not going to show up once you're married, once you get that good job, once your kids get out of jail, once things change, then God is going to do something. No, God is there. God isn't waiting for you to get healed from the sickness. God is in the midst of even that sickness, that God shows up in desperate need just as much as he shows up in times of generosity. That God is right there in that time of desperation. And if you do not see it because you're looking for something else, you're gonna be in that same position of depressed because I don't have what I want and in despair because what I wanted didn't really satisfy me. Which brings me up to closets. Because I do dog training. I don't know. It just happened to be shoes, ladies. Okay, it could have been something else. 
when I go to some of the homes that I do dog training in, I, I go to some pretty uh, affluent homes. There was one home that I went to. It was down in Laguna and was right on the beach. Their living room opened up in this giant circular window, and it's just overlooking the ocean. The husband was a financial advisor for CNN and some other people. Right? They just he had like motorcycles in his hallway. You know, I mean, and there was enough room to still walk. You know, there was like a motorcycle on each side that looked amazing, and they had just all these incredible things. And I was working with their dog. Their dog was a teacup Pomeranian, okay? The dog was this big. I'm kidding you not, right? I'm going to this house to train a dog that looks like, you know, yeah, it looks like cotton balls, you know? I mean, it's just this little thing. And so I'm working, and the dog did great. I mean, I must admit, I did a great job working with that dog and training the job. But one of the things I did is I went in the first lesson. Where Where is the dog staying at? Oh, we keep him in the playpen. They had a baby playpen that they set up for the dog in their room, right? And again, their room is massive. Their room is like bigger than my living room, and it's like massive. It's probably like a thousand square foot bedroom, again, looking over the ocean. And then there's a closet. I couldn't help but notice the closet because, again, the closet's probably bigger than my room. And I see all these purses that are in glass cases with lights on them. Now, I know enough about purses, ladies, to know that I've gone to some store and I've seen some of these purses. They cost thousands of dollars, right? You better have thousands of dollars to put in those purses if you're going to buy them. She's got purse after purse after purse after purse with light after light after light after light and shoe after shoe after shoe after shoe. She has all these closets. And I know some of you right now are just thinking, oh, I wish I had that. You know, you might be saying that. You might look at this and go, oh, look at all those shoes. But imagine this. How many times have you looked at a pair of shoes and said, I need those shoes? And those are the words you use. And that's what you tell yourself. I need those shoes. How many of you have a closet with shoes that you needed? Oh, you guys are so liars. You all have that. Okay, I'll throw myself under the bus here. I'm a guy who likes gadgets. Okay, I like little electronical gadgets. If, if I get something, I, I want to have something that helps enhance that. So if I get a TV, the sound isn't good enough. I need to get a sound bar to make the TV experience better. I need it, okay? And I have to have the HDMI cable so that the picture is optimum. And I have to have the optical cord so that the sound is at its premium. I have no idea what the difference is between the optical and the other cord, but I know it's better, so I need to have it. Okay, I'm, I'm confessing my sin before you guys. You better not judge, okay? Because you're in the same boat too. I needed that shirt. And now it's in the closet and I never wear it. But I needed it. It was so important to me. You see, it's not that the things you have aren't nice. It's that you were expecting them to do more for you than they could. I wanted that sound system to change my life in a way that it couldn't. You wanted those shoes or those clothes or whatever it is. 
to have more of an impact in your life, to make you happier than it, it could. You were looking for something to do something for you, and you were missing out on really what is needed inside. You see, the shoes are an object of our desire, but being happy is the content. It's the object's cause. And what we need to do is understand there's a difference between the object, the thing that we want, and the object cause. What is causing us to want something in the first place? Okay, the alcoholic, the bottle is the object of desire. I need that drink, okay? But the numbing, the hurt of what I feel is the object cause of the desire. The person who cuts themselves, the pain is the desire, but the escape from the deeper pain is the object cause of that desire. Why do celebrities who have plenty of money steal? You guys ever wonder that, right? You always see on the news, so-and-so. I'm not going to name their names. I saw them all when I was doing this. Why did they go in and steal this? They make a lot of money. They didn't need to steal it. But when you can have anything you want and nothing starts to feel like it adds anything to your life, you start doing things just so you can feel something. And the thrill you used to get from going and buying that pair of shoes, it doesn't thrill you anymore. You're like Rocky Valentine. I'm getting everything I want, and it means nothing. But when I steal something, I feel something. You see, the reason they're doing it is because they've expected what they were doing to fill them, and it didn't. And now they're living in the despair of having all that they wanted and still not having enough. Addiction is really more about the desire for something than the actual thing itself. They tell us that the desire for that high is more powerful than the chemical that you become dependent on. It's the desire of what it will do, and it never does as much as it used to. And you see... When you live for something that isn't yet here, you're missing out on what actually is here. What we do is keep mistaking the object and the cause of the object. So what we think we need is always in the future and never experienced in the present. If I get this, I'll be happy. If I get that, I'll be satisfied. And like a carrot dangling before a horse... It's just another step ahead. If I just get one more thing, if I get one more thing, I will have what I want. And it's always one more thing. We look for heaven and live in a type of purgatory because we can't wait till we get there. And we miss the whole point that you were meant to live here. Buy homes, get married, pray for the welfare of your city because the welfare that you experience here is the welfare you will have later. Don't worry about heaven. You're living here. Otherwise, earth becomes a type of purgatory. Jesus said this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen to that, right? There is enough trouble every day. I'm, I'm amazed at how much trouble there is every day. There's enough to occupy my thoughts right there. And what I tend to do, maybe you do this too, is I want to escape the trouble. I want to get past the trouble. I want to fix the trouble so that my life will be better. And I'm finding that God is saying, you know, the object of your desire isn't really the trouble, isn't the problem. What's happening is you're not really being satisfied where you're at. See, Jesus is telling us the same thing that the Lord spoke to them through Jeremiah. Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Today is enough. You know, my kids, when they were younger, we had them in youth group, right? That's what you do at church. Kids are in youth group. And I blurred out the picture so that you wouldn't know any of these kids. I didn't know them. I just got it from online. So, (laughs) but I remember thinking that if my kids went to this event at youth group, that it would change their lives. They would rededicate their life and everything would be better. They would go to a crusade and they would walk down to the you know, field and they would say a prayer and all my problems would be over, right? I and about every other parent in youth group thought something like that, that there was gonna be some magic thing that God was going to do that was gonna fix everything that would happen so that we wouldn't have to worry about our kids using drugs and worry about our kids getting in trouble and worry about our kids making bad decisions. Of course, all the while, I'm still making bad decisions. But, you know, this is going to answer all the problems for my kids so I won't have to worry. And I was expecting something to do that for them so that they would be in a place better. And all the time, every place they were at was an opportunity for me to speak in their life, but I was missing it because I was wanting their life to be somewhere else. The hardship that they went through was the hardship that I should have been there in helping them through it so they could better understand how to live. And I don't know how many opportunities I missed because I wanted them to be somewhere else. And if I would have been present with them where they were, I might have actually had more of a voice at that time in their life. But so concerned about what was going to happen, I was missing what was happening. Expecting some future miracle, I was missing the opportunity for a miracle to take place in the mud and muck of the life that they might have found themselves in. And that was the reality of that situation. There's a beautiful passage In 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read from the J.B. Phillips translation. It says, as co-operators with God himself, we beg you then not to fail to use the grace of God. For God's word is, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Now is the acceptable time. And this very day is the day of salvation. Now, sometimes I get very angry at my evangelical upbringing because this day of salvation is what all the people say when they're giving an altar call. But this was being spoken to people who already believed. This was being spoken to people who had faith. And what Paul is trying to tell them is that God is doing something and you get to be a part of what he's doing today. N.T. Wright 
puts it this way. You've accepted God's grace. Don't let it go for nothing. Make the most of it. The new creation is already here. God is saying yes to all the prophecies and promises. And he's saying it right now. This is the day of salvation, the right time. Make the most of it. You see, God is working right now. Salvation is taking place in you right now. It's not something that will happen if you do something. It's happening right now because you believe in him. Let God's work take place in you right now, wherever you are at. Are you in a bad place? God is with you. Are you hurting? God is there. He's not trying to get you out of the hurt. He's trying to get into the hurt so you can experience what he has for you right where you're at. Because I got to tell you something. Tomorrow, there is going to be trouble too. Tomorrow, there is going to be hurt too. You're going to have family that is going to get sick that will maybe die. I'm not trying to bum everyone out. I know this is like, thanks, Sam. Came to church. I feel so much better. This is the reality. You all know it's true. As we get older, we see it happen more and more to the people we know, the people we love. If you do not see God present in the difficulties that are happening here, you will not see him tomorrow when they happen again. We have to see that what God is doing is happening where you're at, wherever you are at. And I don't say that without sympathy. I don't say that as just take it or leave it. I say that with the pain of knowing these things, with the people I love going through these things, with the people who are closest to me hurting and seeing them cry and I can't do anything to fix it. I just have to step into it and be with them there because that's where God is with them to let them know that they are in a place where God shows up. And it's where he shows up the strongest. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, again, the J.B. Phillips translation says, It has been a great joy to me that after all this time you have shown such interest in my welfare. I don't mean that you had forgotten me, but up till now you had no opportunity for expressing your concern. Nor do I mean that I have been in actual need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances may be. I know how to live when things are difficult. I know how to live when things are prosperous. In general, and in particular, I have learned the secret of facing either poverty or plenty. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. See, Paul said, I can have a little or I can have a lot, and I am in the same place. I can be healthy or I can be sick and I'm in the same place. That my circumstances change and will change because that's the world that we live in. But this is where I'm vested. This is where I trust. This is where I will live and see God live in me here. You see, it's the people who are struggling and have hope that are the biggest testimony to those who are struggling. It's those who are sick and going through the difficulties that are able to have the loudest voice to others who are sick and going through the difficulties. It is why Paul can say, in my weakness, he's strong. Where does that happen? It happens right here where you're living. 
being present with God. My tendency is to be looking forward for what I want and actually miss taking hold of what I actually have. I watched a TED Talk. It was with a psychologist named Angela Lee Duckworth. And she was a teacher who turned to psychologists. And she was a researcher, and she wanted to research why were some people successful. And so her research team took on projects in a number of areas. The research team went to West Point Military Academy. They tried to predict which cadets would stay in training and which would drop out. They looked at the National Spelling Bee to predict which children would advance farthest in the competition. They studied rookie teachers working in really tough neighborhoods to see which one would stay and which one would leave and which would be the most effective in these rough areas. With sales companies to determine who would keep their jobs and who would be able to earn the most money. And in all these different contexts, there was one significant characteristic that emerged. The key to all these areas of success, it wasn't social intelligence. It wasn't good looks. It wasn't physical health. It wasn't IQ. It was grit. It was the passion and perseverance day by day by day that would go on for weeks, that would go on for months, that would go on for years. It, were the pe- it was the people who were in the moment working at the whatever it was that were the ones who succeeded. It was the ones who were present every day pushing forward that went forward. It didn't matter in the classroom if they were growing up in a, a place that was low income, didn't have a father, didn't have all these other things, the only thing that was consistent were the ones who were present day by day, pushing forward. You see, the reason today is our day, this, this is where we get to take and make the most of the grace God gives us is because this is where it matters. And so many times I am so worried about what will happen that I don't get the grit and do what needs to happen today. In my life, in the lives of those around me. Today is what I have. Today is the opportunity I have. Today is what God has given me. And while it's called today, make the most of this day. Because this is where you find your life. It's not in the getting. It's in the actual living. Even if the experience is difficult. It is your opportunity to step into it and push through it. It is where God is going to meet you. And I know some of us are just like, I don't want him to meet me here. I want him to meet me in Hawaii. 
Okay, I would like him to meet me in a different car. I would like him to meet me in a place that's a little more peaceful where there aren't so many people living and screaming and fighting. I want him to meet me in this area. And he says, I'm not there. In fact, when you get there, you will be in despair because it's not what you want. But if you will meet me here, you will find that I am here in abundance. So this is what we have. This is where we are. This is where we move forward. This is how we change the world, by being here today. Just like Jeremiah told them, the welfare of your city will be your welfare. The welfare of the life around you will be yours. The more you give to where you're at, the more you will have to give tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord God, I have such a hard time being satisfied, being content. And part of it is healthy, wanting to grow, wanting to develop. Honestly, part of it is not healthy. Part of it is just wanting to escape today instead of pushing through it. And I pray for all of us that are in that mindset of wanting to get out of whatever it is we are in right now. Lord, the only way past it is through it. But you told us that we could be of good courage even though that there would be trouble because you've overcome the world. Lord, when we go through it, you go through it with us. We will find in the midst of the trouble the answer. We will find in the problem the God who is God in us. So I pray that our hearts be turned towards you, even in those times of despair, that we would not think that something else, an object, has what we need. Lord, you are not only the object we need, you are the object's cause. You are the cause and the effect of what we need. And so may we focus on you today. May we give what we have today to you who holds tomorrow. Amen. Let's stand together. May you realize that the strength God gives, he gives today. That the peace God gives, he gives today. And that the hope that you long for is in the presence of God where you are. May you find him there and may the welfare be shared. Around you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. We'll see you next week and talk about the future. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. 
Thank you for listening.